The history of television is a history of failure. For every television series that lasted years and years, there were dozens that lasted only one season or less. But did they deserve to die? Or were they... Cancelled too soon? Everybody and welcome back to Cancel Too Soon, the podcast where we review television series that lasted only one season or less. My name is William Bibiani. I am a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I too am a film critic, and um, as you can probably hear in our voices, we're we're both a little scratchy. Yeah, so, uh, we're just sort of feeling feeling a little, little gross. So we're recording in separate under that locations. weather. That's that's why you would. That's why we sound different uh, for this episode. Mm. We've done this before. Uh, it works out okay. We prefer to record in person, but, you know, say lovey. Yeah, yeah it, it, it happens. Uh, sorry about that. Uh, I hope it doesn't affect the episode too much. But, uh, yeah, we the show must go on. Unless it's been cancelled, <laughs> which is kind of our ethos here at Cancelled Too Soon. Failure um, is more interesting than success. Indeed. So, yeah, our this show, for anyone who might be new, uh, we look at television's greatest failures. For every hit series you've heard of, there are literally dozens that failed. And uh, we think that some of those really deserve another chance. So we watch them and we review them and we tell you if they were canceled too soon or not. And this time on Cancel Too Soon, we've dug up a very weird failed pilot <laughs> with a very weird cast. It's the cast that really kind of catches your eye more than anything. Because the premise has been used in other shows. Mm. And, uh, and we'll get to that. Right, uh, but let, let's let's just run down uh, uh, the cast here for uh, for people who might not know what we're talking about. Uh, it, the cast includes Bruce Abbott. Now, Bruce Abbott might not be a name brand recognition thing, but if you like horror movies, you might know him from Reanimator. He was Dan Kane in Reanimator. Great movie star look, like right up there with like Bruce Campbell. Should have mm-hmm. been a bigger lead. Also joining he, the he cast. Was a- he was a big Adam, lead in like, yeah. uh, oh, sorry, in, in, like uh, genre films, like Last Starfighter and stuff. Bruce Abbott wasn't in the last. Was he in the Last Starfighter? Yeah. Oh, he was like the other boyfriend, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. He he wasn't the main guy, um, but <laughs> but guy. yeah, he was he was in it. Uh, I remember last seeing him in The Prophecy Part Two. Uh, there's a bunch of those prophecy sequels. Yeah, uh, but also joining the cast, as I was saying before, I was so politely interrupted. Uh, w- is a pop music superstar Adam Ant? <laughs> Adam uh, yep, Ant, Adam. which I always thought was a fake name. Turns out his name is actually Adam Ant. Yep. I have no idea if that's uh, true or not. Is his actual I, name Adam Ant? No, his his name is like a Sean something. Um, <sighs> Oh, it's, uh, sorry, it's Stuart. Stuart, Gart, Stuart Goddard is uh, Adam Ant's mm. real name. Right, but you might know him, you probably know his song Goody Two Shoes. I think that's probably his biggest hit. Mm. Uh, Stand um, and Deliver, Prince Charming, uh, he, you know, back in the late 70s, it was, was with Adam and the Ants, then he did a mm. solo career. Big, important uh, luminary in the, the New Wave movement. Mm. And didn't do a lot of acting. 
Like, I mean, he's acted, but, like, if you look, like, most of his stuff is, like, little roles and things. He had he mm. did, like, a voice in Batman, the animated series, but not a character. He played a character named Bert. You know, like, <laughs> he didn't play, like, a major villain on it or anything. Uh, and then also, joining that cast, Bill Maher. <laughs> Everybody's favorite pundit. Uh, yeah, Bill Maher... Uh, always sort of aspired to be a comedian, but for a while there he was trying his hand at acting, and so he starred in a lot of uh, TV and a lot of low-budget movies. Bill Maher, uh, if you look over his um, like acting filmography, uh, it's it's really strange because he was in a movie called Rat Boy. He was in oh, House yeah. Two. He was in Cannibal Women and the Avocado Jungle of Death. House uh, Two, the second story, is actually rather good. Yeah, you know that, that's, that's a, it's fun, a fun movie. And then after that, he kind of uh, went his way. Uh, in the 90s, you probably, if, if you were around long enough, you probably remember his show Politically Incorrect, mm-hmm. uh, which at the time, when it was on the air, seemed so important, didn't it? Like, it, it was uh, <laughs> finally, because Bill Maher is very openly libertarian, and it was a, a kind of political viewpoint that wasn't being discussed a lot on TV in the 1990s. Uh, so yeah, political, and he always had like really interesting guests coming on in like this round table setup and they would discuss the issues of the day mm. and Bill Maher, uh, who's now in his mid sixties has just gotten like grumpier and more smug as the years have passed. And he's always been grumpy and smug. Yeah. So, but he's gotten like there's... increasingly like out of touch with what's like, cause when he was like. When, when Politically Incorrect came out, he was considered, like, wow, for television, he's actually a bit of a renegade. Yeah. And yeah, nowadays, yeah. he just he's just like, wow, for television, he's really out of touch with a lot. Prior to all of this, all of his uh, career as a political pundit, uh, before he started playing himself in movies, he tried an acting career. And this might be his highest profile acting project. Well, at least in terms of, like, him being the main lead. There was also... Yeah. Uh, he was on an episode of Murder, She Wrote, which was intended to be a backdoor pilot for, like, I think some kind of private detective series he was on. And we've never really done backdoor pilots before, unless they actually led to a series. Maybe yeah, one day we'll yeah. get to them. But yeah, this was, like, going to be a big buddy cop show starring Bruce Abbott, again, getting a big break, Bill Maher, getting a big break, Adam Ant, he's only in the pilot. And it was called Out of Time. You're out of touch. Uh, I'm out of time. Uh, for, first, first problem, the title. It's really nondescript. Like, I had to yeah. remind myself multiple times while I was watching it, what is this thing called? Oh, right, it's called Out of Time. Yeah. Okay, Out of Time. It's a time travel show. Um, it takes place 100 years in the future. That is to say, 2088. And in the future, cops have future stuff. <laughs> yeah, like there's there's cops. full of future technology, and computers are expected to solve all the crimes. And cops are basically just there to like do the legwork. That because I guess we haven't invented good robots yet. And uh, <laughs> Bruce Abbott plays a cop who believes in old fashioned cop stuff, tracking yeah. down suspects, following leads, having a hunch. And uh, he's cast he's uh, castigated, chastised by his by his chief. For not letting computers do the job. Yeah, how how dare you do this? And uh, he is also, um, and he's he's kind of like not the 
best cop like he uh, he's seen early on trying to chase down uh, the bad guy of the show. That's Adam Ant. He plays a character named Richard Marcus, who is not the character from Star Trek uh, or Star Trek Into Darkness. Uh, Peter Weller played a character named Marcus, but it was not him. I had to look it up. OK. Um, but uh, he, he has like a future gun. The special effects on this thing are really, really weird because mm-hmm. the they use this sort of like digital effect to show energy bolts coming out of the cop future cop guns but there's also this weird sort of ripple slow down effect whenever there's like a special effect on screen as if like reality itself is warping and i'm not sure if that's just a bad special effect or if these cop guns are doing something to the fabric of space time i think it's a bad special effect i think there is definitely like an attempt to show time travel in a different way here like visualize it in a different way But I also think it's done really, really badly. And we'll talk about that uh, uh, in a minute. So, like, yeah, at the beginning of the movie, it's the future. Everything looks kind of futuristic. It's kind of like Blade Runner, where everything's, like, really stark, but somewhere in the back, something is on fire. And you don't know why. Um, And the opening shot is that, like, Blade Runner shot of the, like, the whole of the city in the future. And, yeah, it's like the Blade Runner thing. But it's a matte painting. Like, the entire thing's a matte painting. And... You think that the video is stuck for a second when you see something moving. It's like this really awkward special. Like the, I'm going to keep on going on about the special effects in this thing because they are really, really strange. Yeah, and again, I appreciate it's 1988, it's television, they only had so much money. But they could have done tried and true visual effects. And they're trying to do some weird stuff here mm-hmm. to mixed at best I- I- effect. So he's chasing down this Adamant yeah. guy. He's he's a super villain, and Adamant's kind of playing him like Frank Gorshin plays the Riddler, like a little broad, um, uh-huh. well, a little like. For Frank Gorshin is at a ten. Adamant is like, like a seven, but you can tell that he's kind of playing cartoon supervillain. He gets to he gets to be the villain, and he knows it, and that's that's fine. Yeah. Uh, so Bruce Abbott like tracks him down. There's a fight. Adamant gets away. And Bruce, uh, Bruce Abbott is told, why can't you be more like your great-grandfather, the greatest cop Los Angeles has ever seen? And it turns out, that's Bill Maher. <laughs> and his great-grandfather, when he was an older man, uh, brought in... He's, he was almost like this messiah for the police department. Mm-hmm. Like, he brought in a whole new uh, practical thinking ethos and trying uh you know having to sort of think more clearly and also he was an inventor who invented a lot of the computers and guns that would be used to track down police for the next 100 years yeah so basically uh he made police work the almost futuristic dystopia that it is today that his great-grandson is now struggling to live in because he's more old-fashioned than that Mm. uh Bruce Abbott has a girlfriend in the future. She is a uh, uh, TV reporter. She's played by uh, Christiane Alfonso. There's this really weird thing where, like, she's reporting on the crime wave that he was just uh, uh, investigating, mm. and you know she's just doing she's just doing an exposition dump. Adamant has been doing this. He's wanted for these murders. Blah 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 blah. And then, like, there's an option on the TV, and you can, like, press it to, like, stare at her legs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You that's, know, um, like, all classy-like. That's, that's, that's going to be an option in the future, just ogle your coworkers. Uh, you know, that's that's, mm. that's a, a right, honorable, and decent thing to do. <laughs> mm. It's not, you see. 
Uh, uh, that, that, but that's that's the kind of humor you had on TV in 1988. Waka waka. So uh, she comes home and she's just like, ah, work. And then she's like, oh, did you find a new book? Because apparently books are hard to find in the future. And they both yeah, bond. Which, it's which, it's know, like I, in the, I buy. The, I buy that. It, it, well, fair enough. And like it's it's almost like a, like a more realistic version of that movie. Uh, they came together, where the two uh, lovers in the movie <laughs> bond over their sh- over their shared love of fiction books. Hmm. You like books nowadays. Kind of it's books? Just, I like yeah, fiction you like books. <gasps> I like fiction too. Yeah, it's yeah. Great. But like a hundred years from now, people who also like books and like there's a bit where she's like, "Oh, did you find another Stephen King? How many does this make?" And he's like, hundred and four. It's like, wow. Yeah, this is one of his early books. Uh, first off, the joke that Stephen King would be that prolific was actually a joke back in yeah. the 80s. Like, he hadn't made, he hadn't written as many books as he'd, he's written now. Now that actually seems like a number he could actually hit. Uh, so, and oh, also... Hold, hold on, I'm the... going to look up Stephen King. Like, what was his most recent book in 1988? Yeah, I'm curious. He, he, he was already a book big hit that... at that point. Well, the book that they have in their hands is The Stand, which was actually relatively recent. And it's also, yeah, yeah. like, he'd written a whole bunch of books before then. So when Bruce Abbott refers to it as one of his early works, mm-hmm. it's kind of a laugh-out-loud line because it seems like he's written so much. But nowadays, you look at it, it's like, no, he stayed prolific his entire career. See, That's like um, saying, like, um, I don't know, that, like, uh, Strangers on it. No, that's not true. Uh, like, The Lady Vanishes is early Hitchcock. He'd been directing features for like 10, 15 years by that point. Right. It's not early Hitchcock, but it feels okay. like early Hitchcock because he would talking, go on to work for another 35 years. Right. If they were talking about The Stand in Out of Time, it yeah. must have been based on a press release because The Stand wasn't published until 1990. Uh, okay, then maybe I read the title wrong. What, what, else, what else had just come out? Um, his most recent books uh, in 88 would have been the second Dark Tower book, which uh, and mm. or Misery or the Tommyknockers, which all three came out in 1987. Okay, well maybe uh, maybe maybe it was the stand, and I read it correctly. Maybe not, but either way, it's it's a it's a weird joke. Uh, he also has gotten her yes. uh, a copy of Shakespeare's Sonnets, which is one of the last books that survived the library fire. That's so a quote it, that they use. It, it was like. Uh, it was like the library at Alexandria. Just it was this wonder of the world, yeah. but it was the only source of all knowledge, which is really, really depressing. And it seems like the sort of thing that can never really happen. And then you realize, like, there was that fire in Brazil a year or two ago, and like it like destroyed almost every copy of like classic cinema that they had, including things that only existed there. Mm. Like it's really not that far outside the realm of possibility. Yeah. And once again, we are reminded of the importance of physical media. That's what Out of Time is all about, really. The importance, the importance of, physical of physical media. media. By the way, Out of Time is not available on physical media. <laughs> uh, no, we, 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 we had to uh, find other other resources. But uh, yeah, it's it, it never got a, a, like a VHS release or anything as far as I know. Yeah, anyway, uh, Bruce Abbott tells his girlfriend that he's figured out that uh, Adam Ant was after experimental time travel technology. And when she says, well, where was the time machine? And he's like, well, a time machine would be really big. He couldn't, like, take it out of there and hide it. I think he sent it into the future to a time when, like, no one would be there. And then he'll just come back and steal the time machine, like, in, like, a couple of days, which Bruce Abbott goes to that point. The time travel machine shows up. Adam Ant shows up. And they both end up getting sucked backwards 
through time. And when I say sucked, what I'm really describing is the time travel like technique <laughs> that they decide to visualize. Because it is unbearably awful and extremely long. It, like so it takes what, forever. Yeah. What what happens is, um, like like there's this square on the floor and this sort of like suspended square of pipes up on the ceiling in this big black room. It looks like a like a black box theater uh, situation. Like Vladimir yeah. and Estragorn are going to come in at any minute, and the time traveler, like stands on like this little podium. It's like this little cylinder, mm. like a stool, I guess, and they just mm. sort of stand there and then things go like really kind of wonky around them and time slows down and everything kind of warps and uh, like even and they the repeat sound... the same dialogue over and over and over and over and over yeah. and over and over and over and over and over and over again and I just tried to make it into a joke they repeated themselves more <laughs> and it's really annoying it's so annoying and like yeah, the, the yeah. visual warping like techniques I get that they were trying something exciting but it, it and I appreciate that you tried something new like you wanted it to not feel like George Powell's The Time Machine. You wanted it not to feel like Back to the Future. I get it. I, I appreciate wanting to do something new, but there also comes a point when you're in post and you're just like, this is not working. And yeah, we should probably yeah. just do a hard cut and then just say, like, the time machine worked. Because then it's, we at least get on with the movie. Slash I pilot. mean, yeah, they could have made it, like, really, like, super fast. Like, schlup, and that's it. They're done. I mean, it, it, the one thing that people don't talk about enough, especially on network television is that when you're editing for network television, you have a certain amount of time you have to fill. Mm -hmm. Now, if you have more than enough material, okay, then we just have to trim it down. And sometimes that's difficult because there's information that is needed to convey the narrative, and you know it's hard to decide what, if anything, to cut. However, the, the opposite side of that, excuse me, the opposite side of that is what do you do <coughs> if you don't have enough material and you have to fill it? Yeah, yeah. You how, actually how have you to fill time. Down. Stretch it so out it's a also bit. it's also possible that they realized oh wait this thing is running really short and this is a backdoor pilot so like if it doesn't get picked up for a series at least it'll be a movie but it needs to fit that TV movie uh, uh, mold hmm. we have to fill this time and like that's one of those things it's like that joke when we did Garth Marenghi's Dark Place uh -huh. there was a bit about how like all the episodes of Garth Marenghi's Dark Place ran short and so they would use slow motion constantly in order just right. to, to fill time that's kind of the time travel thing uh -huh. in, in out of time it's it's pretty damn annoying actually <laughs> but um they do manage to go back in time and they go back in time to the year 1988 exactly they're in los angeles years. in 1988 uh confirmed i was actually just scrubbing through the video and yes it was indeed the stand that they had a copy of yet. You're not crazy. All right, so so that was something that I guess people knew was coming out, and that was the joke, is that it was super old, and that mm -hmm. this book, which felt like Stephen King's like 20th novel or something like that, feels like he's been around for forever, is actually one of his early works. It's sort of like, uh, did you ever see the movie they made of Kurt Vonnegut's Harrison Bergeron? I didn't see that. I've read the story, but I haven't seen it. Yeah, they turn this. Harrison Bergeron takes place. If you, the story is, is really, really short, and they did a really good job adapting it into a movie. Uh, Harrison Bergeron takes place in a future where people are all have, like, microchips or, like, helmets on their head in order to make sure that no one is special. Everyone is equally mediocre at everything. Yeah, which which is and, a very... It's a very libertarian viewpoint, speaking of Bill Maher, but, yeah. Well, fair enough. But, like, but the, the movie realizes that in order for that to make any sense, 
there needs to be actually really smart people making that technology, keeping society running because that just couldn't function otherwise. So there must be this other level of sort of fascist authoritarianism. And so Harrison Bergeron, played in the movie by Sean Astin, is a young wunderkind and he can't help himself. He's always getting A pluses in all of his papers and he's worried he's going to be lobotomized. And in actuality, what they do is they invite him into the inner circle to help run the world. And he finally gets, for the very first time in his life, access to good art. <laughs> and there's this bit where, like, he's like, oh, yeah, you can watch you, you want Shakespeare's really interesting. You want to watch some Shakespeare? He's like, sure. And so after he gets to, like, binge a bunch of really good art, he says, uh, hey, you know that uh, that play, the, the movie you showed me, King Lear? And they're like, yeah? Who, who was the main guy in that? And they said, King Lear. Like, no, 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 the actor. Oh, Macaulay Culkin. <laughs> that's cute and this was like in the early 90s when Macaulay Culkin was still doing like Home Alone 2 so like yeah, it was a child actor and it it's just that guy to be it's just that guy King Lee. yeah, yeah. In the future. Uh, but, but yeah uh, here we have our uh, and his name is Channing Taylor the main character hmm. and we have Channing Taylor in 1988 uh, doing Culture Clash stuff what is a bus I do not know I'm gonna bump into hmm. people what is money uh, he sees hmm. a kid with a toy and thinks he's gonna shoot him um it's it's all really rather predictable, not very interesting stuff, and rather frustrating. They don't give us wide shots of L.A. in 1988, so even as an L.A. native, I can't go, ooh, look at that. It's like... Well, I suspect they didn't shoot a lot of it, like, in special locations in L.A. They might have just shot it wherever they could. Hmm. Um, it feels kind of L.A., though, but there aren't a lot of recognizable locales. Yeah. Um yeah, so like he there's there's a bunch of like little weird stuff like and it's weird what is like not in the future. Like there's no hard currency. He specifically says that like hard currency was outlawed at some point in the future and all they use is credit cards. Okay, I buy all of that. That 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 sounds like a kind of thing that might happen within 100 years. Um So like he ends up uh trying to figure out like how he can get cash cuz he needs cash. Just, no one will take his credit card. It doesn't it doesn't mm -hmm. work. He needs to get around. He needs to buy contemporary clothes cuz he's walking around wearing like something like Albert Brooks wears and like defending your life. Um what he does is he goes to a uh like a convenience store and he asks for he he, he says he wants to buy a lottery ticket. And they pull out one of those scratchers. And he uses one of his, like, cop devices as, like, a Google got, lens. Uh, and he can see an infrared and he can has x-ray vision. Yeah, again, and he know, can he see which of them through, is a winner. Uh, yeah, he can re read through the, the lotto scratchers and he picks a winner. No, it's like, can I no, have that this one? Is not, no, not that one, not yeah, that one. This is not, a, this is not an unclever idea for how he could possibly make money. The problem is he needs money in order to get one. So that's uh -huh. a problem. The other problem is... You are not allowed, and this is even at the time, you are not allowed to say, I want that scratcher from the middle of the roll. Yeah. You have to buy, he would have to buy all the scratchers up until that one, which if he bought that scratcher, he could afford, but they don't say that they do that. And then he says he will split the money with the person who like at the convenience store, because he gets like a $500 one. And there's two problems uh -huh. with that. One, he won so much money that they wouldn't give it to him outright. He would have to send away, and they would give it to him in a couple of weeks. How much did they give him? They give him about $500. They're not just going to pull that out of a register. $50 five, maybe. 500 no. No, five, That's not, five, especially not at the time. Yeah. I think, um, I'd have to look this up, but they're actually, you can get $500 just straight from the convenience store. I'm not that, sure you could do that back in the 80s, though, when that went That's further. a thing, yeah. 
So I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that's how it works. And what I know is how it works. The person who, like, works at that convenience store cannot mm. cash that in. You're not allowed to cash it. No, you're not allowed You're not allowed to buy a scratcher from a place where you work and turn it in. Okay, fair. That that is I think that is I I know it's against the law now. I'm pretty sure it was against the law before. You can I mean you can right. go somewhere else, but you cannot buy a gambling product from a place where you work as the purveyor of gambling. You know? I I I I'm willing to look over all of this stuff. I'm just happy that they had some sort of practical consideration. Like he's in the present now and he needs mm-hmm. money. How's he going to get it? Cheating at the lottery. Okay, that's fine. I'm okay one with of the, that. That was like they, one they, of the they writers thought here. of that and they came up with a solution. Yeah, one of the writers on this show. Let me see if I can narrow it down because there were three different people credited with uh, the teleplay. Uh, yeah, John J. Sackmar was also credited. He was a producer on a TV series called Strange Luck, which I've been trying to track down for a while for this show. Do you remember Strange Luck with DB Sweeney? Oh, I remember it. Yeah, I never saw it, but I remember the show. Yeah, it was one of those shows that came out after the X-Files. It was just like, oh, people are interested in weird, creepy stuff. So here's the show, lasted one season, and starred D.B. Sweeney as a guy who the laws of probability do not apply around him. Highly implausible things happen to him all the time. There's a mystery behind that. I don't know if they ever answered it. But one of the things this guy is, this guy is like so used to just terrible shit happening around him all the time that it's become kind of old hat to him, and he doesn't even have a job anymore. He just goes around, gets a scratchy lottery ticket. Oh, good, I have fifty bucks today. Yeah. Like if he like, or if he buys a soda from a convenience store, the bottle cap gets him another free soda, like every single time. <laughs> so nice. this weird scratchy lottery plot point is like something that is in uh, John J. Sagmar's like bag of tricks, which I think is kind of funny. <laughs> Um, so, uh, he gets money, he's able to buy, like, some contemporary clothes, and he looks terrible, which makes sense. He wouldn't understand yeah. contemporary style. I get it. And he tracks down his, his great-great-grandfather, who is played by, again, Bill Maher. Bill Maher shows up, like, pretty late into this thing. He shows up, like, 30, 40 minutes into the, uh, into the pilot. Yeah. And the gag is, at, in 1988, he's not a hero yet. In fact, he's, like, the joke of the police force. Uh-huh. Like, nobody like, respects him, nobody likes him. Uh, he, he's just, like, a beat uniform cop, and he's, like, giving parking tickets. And uh, he his great-great-grandson runs afoul of him, and that's how they, they manage to uh, bond and get their conversation started. Uh, yeah, and uh, uh, Bill Maher is already using, like, technology. He's, like, found a way to, like... He wears these really large headphones while he's in the in the field, rather than, like, run back to his car and use, like, the squawk box. He just has it on him all the time, which... Actually sounds super duper practical and smart, but everyone makes fun of him for it, so. Hmm. Waka. This, look at this idiot. Uh, he invented uh, the cell phone. The, uh... Bill Maher is, is a problem in this. Um, because he's supposed to be playing this nerd, right? He's like an, an inventor. Mm-hmm. He's an engineer. He's supposed to be really devoted to police work. Uh, you would think that he'd be kind of a sophisticated guy and he's not he's actually kind of a lout and mm-hmm. i feel like bill maher is trying to turn him into sort of a comedy character rather than trying to play the character so he's yeah. not playing what the role demands of him he's what he's playing is not an engineer or not an inventor he's playing just 
kind of this blue collar boob who makes jokes about ladies and, and, you know, says inappropriate things. Yeah, like the gag is that he's super duper smart and can invent stuff. And, and indeed, he figures out a way to, like, fix Bruce Abbott's technology when it fails in the present, which Bruce Abbott thought he couldn't do. He's super duper mm. smart. But, like, yeah, you would think he'd be playing at something like, I don't know, like Anthony Edwards in Revenge of the Nerds or something like that. Someone who's got, like, a little charisma, but is, like, kind of socially awkward. His blue-collar shtick feels like it would be at home with all the other cops. Like, one of the mm. first things he does when he gets access to Bruce Abbott's, like, x-ray specs is l look through ladies' clothes. You it's know, like, like an asshole. You, you would, that character should, like, put on those glasses and say, wow, I can use this to, like, look at sort of like a criminal sting or see if somebody's stolen mm. something. Like, he would use it for crime-fighting things. Yeah. And he doesn't think to do that at all. Mm -hmm. He doesn't even once entertain the notion of using this technology for crime fighting. No, it's ridiculous. And like, and then like, there's a whole bit. It takes a while for like Bruce Abbott to convince him that he's from the future, which it should. You know, there should that if he, if he's supposed to be smart, he shouldn't take that at face value. Yeah. But once he does, once he sees the technology is what it is, and he also finds out that he's Bruce Abbott has like a biography of his great grandfather on him. Like, right. and it's, like, his face on it, and it's got, like, stuff from his life on it. Like, okay, fine. I'm willing to buy that he would uh, entertain the idea for a while. Yeah, like, he, he uses this this tech to, to, to ogle women, and then, like, he says, Hey, you know who I'm gonna marry, don't you? And Bruce Abbott's like, I can't ta tell you I'm about just, that. And he's so just awkward. like, okay. and Bill Maher's response isn't like, Ah, oh, come on, or, oh, I understand... It's to assume that he marries someone ugly. Uh-huh. The, the specific term he uses is so fucking offensive because he's saying it about his future wife, theoretically. He's, he refer, he uses the word a woofer. Yeah. Like a yeah. dog. He's, he's, like, he's, gonna, he's going to marry a dog. That's, that's like, his fear. What a, what a fucking asshole. Like, yeah, I, like you you've like, completely are, lose guy... me on this character. This guy should not be as shallow as that. No. Like, I, not... I appreciate that he's not, like, a hero yet. He shouldn't be a hero yet, because that's where, like, character growth comes from. Mm. Like, otherwise, they have nothing to, like, add to each other. But, yeah, the, Bill Maher is trying so hard to make this guy, like, a cool character. Like, you know, it's socially unpopular, perhaps, but someone that, like, cool dudes in the audience, like bros, like frat guys would like. Uh-huh. That he completely portrays everything the character seems to represent in the script. Yeah, the, like he's he's supposed to be this messiah. Now I understand that uh, the need to uh, sort of tear down the hero, right? Like we have mm -hmm. this this version of this guy in in the history books where he's like kind of peerless and really really uh, just fecklessly good and uh, has no flaws whatsoever. And then when mm -hmm. you finally get to meet them, you actually get to see that they do have flaws and there's actually a lot of horrible things about them, but they went yeah. way too far. They didn't show that yeah. he was just a flawed human being with a few issues or that he was really kind of depressed or that his things didn't work or that he wasn't respected. It was, he's an asshole. Yeah. Like, like they did this in uh, Star Trek First Contact. Zephram Cochran is the guy who invented transwarp travel. We go back yeah, in time go. to make sure he can go on his first space flight and usher in a new yes. era of peace in the galaxy. He it's is revered, example, but he's revered yeah. for who he was later. 
at the time, he was just a guy who invented a thing thinking it would get him, like, money and fame. And it was only later on that he actually became a more noble person. Yeah, there's... um... Yeah, there's a really wonderful exchange in, in that movie between Zephram Cochran and, and uh, Riker, where he says, you know why I'm doing this? Dollar, I just want to have an island full of naked women. I'm doing this for money. I don't care yeah. about touching the stars or travel or any of that. Yeah. And we get to see over the course of that movie him first getting a taste of what he eventually became. That's right. a good way to do that. That's I feel like that's not an excellent movie, but that's an excellent uh, example of what I'm talking about, where we're kind of... Yeah, and again, this... he's also saying something that is sexist. He wants just, mm-hmm. you know, he wants sexy ladies to like him. That's not a noble endeavor at all. But the, yeah. the movie has a very clear perspective on that, which is that that is immature and wrong. That is mm-hmm. not a great motivation for doing this. That is definitely disappointing and not funny in and of itself. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and out of time suggests that it's just funny. Well, and it would have been okay if you're going to portray the Bill Maher character that way, and uh, he, the Bruce Abbott character looks at him and says, "You are saying horrible." Like he actually calls him on it and says, "Hey, I admired you. You're saying these horrible things. Who are you? I don't understand. I think you need to start thinking more nobly. Stop talking about you know the woman you're going to marry like she's a dog or you know ogling women. This is terrible." Like, he called him on it, and, like, he was the one to sort of set him on the straight and narrow. That would also be another story. But they don't do that. Bruce Abbott just sort of rolls with uh, his great-grandfather's, like, sexism and and assholism. It's it's really... (laughs) And the the whole point, by the end, we're going to have the the Bruce Abbott character making a big sacrifice for the benefit of his great-grandfather. Yeah. Yeah, he will he and, uh, will uh, prevent himself from being able to return back to his time in order to save his great grandfather's life, which is also kind of self serving. He's pre- he's preventing himself from being erased from existence as well, but still, well, there, you know, it's, that, a, it's a difficult he, choice to he, make. He did he did make a sacrifice, and I feel like by the very end, the Bill Maher character kind of realized that he does need to be a little bit more on the straight and narrow. He needs to listen to what he's reading about in the the book uh, uh like that is his biography that his great great grandson has so they they do it but they they do it really sloppily and it's it's rushed right at the end it's not sort of the arc of this pilot yeah 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 it's 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 really rough the other thing i think is worth noting here is that um you know every time travel story has to clarify what their time travel rules are yeah. Sometimes they go into labyrinthine detail, like if you ever see the movie Primer, like you actually need like a spreadsheet to follow it. Like it's incredibly, it makes sense, but it's incredibly complicated. Um, but at least, at the very least, you need to decide, if nothing else, does changing the past change the future? Like how yeah. how dangerous is that? Are you if you, this is a movie where you go back in time? Are you allowed to screw around a little bit? Are you creating an alternate reality when you're doing this? Or will time just automatically fix itself? Or are you potentially really screwing things up in the future? And what this pilot really seems to clarify is that you can't change the future. Everything, if you went back in time, that was part of the story altogether. And they clarify that really quickly because... The book, the book of Shakespearean sonnets that he gives, uh, Bruce Abbott gives his girlfriend in the future, he finds that book in a library. Yeah. And he's the one, it turns out early on we see the one big flaw in it, there's a torn page. And then we see 
he he is accidentally the one who tears that page. So mm. in that timeline, he had already gone back in time and done this. So everything he does, it doesn't matter what it is, what he changes, whether he knows about the future and uses that to make his decisions in the past, he already did it. Which is a li- which is quite freeing, actually. Well, it, and because it, you really makes... can't, you, 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 especially if you're going to be a series, you can't like second guess every single thing you do. Yeah, and and that sort of I think that's a good way to address causality loops. It's like there wasn't a version of the story before you arrived; you were already here. And if you yeah. sort of go through time, then yeah, the time travel from the future would be there. Uh, and it, it, there wouldn't be like, we'd go through to where there was time travel and then go back. It's not the back to the future thing where there's yeah. like an alternate timeline without you in it. Um, and I appreciate that. I appreciate that they're not being super ginger about it. They're not trying mm-hmm. to be strict about, you know, okay, if I do this, then I'll cease to exist. It's um, yeah. it's like, no, this his goal, in fact, and I think this was going to be maybe the premise of the series... This is the the main character's goal, the uh, the Bruce Abbott character. Yeah. Was going to be episode by episode uh, walking his future messiah great-grandfather into being the man he was supposed to be. It's about him teaching... It's essentially him teaching uh, Christ to be Christ-like, if you will, (laughs) if you want to to take that. And that seems like a pretty interesting premise uh, in terms of its idea. Yeah. but I feel like that's not something that's really being focused on in this pilot. I think it's going yeah. a little bit... I mean, and of course it's a time travel story, so it's going to be uh, bogged down in plot. We're going to get back with Adam and he's up to no yeah. good, we have to stop him, that kind of stuff. But yeah, but as a pilot, it's got to set up what this show is going to be in the future, and you really need to focus on no. the journey that these two characters are going to take together. And... Right. Honestly, yeah, you're right. The idea of here's a guy who grew up with everyone worshiping his his grandfather as a hero, and then he goes back in time and finds out his grandfather was anything but. Not that he's a criminal or anything like that, but just he was not there yet. And ironically, the only way he gets there is by emulating the great grandson who everyone in the future said never lived up to his great grandfather's shadow. Yeah, that's right. not a bad so, setup. That's actually kind of a neat premise. That's one of the reasons why mm-hmm. we decided to do this pilot was that doesn't sound too bad. And yeah, again, that, I like Bruce Abbott a lot. Bruce Abbott's like a really good actor. He doesn't get enough credit. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I um, so yeah. th- this is a sh- it's yeah. So the ideas are all here, and I think the ideas are actually very sound. And this that could have made a really interesting show, especially if you're going to roll with sort of its more cerebral qualities. It's like I I never lived up to you, but now I get to teach you. <sighs> And it's about, and, at the end of the day, trying to make the future a better place. It's actually a very noble uh, theme to this program. Yeah, and again, Bruce Abbott comes from, in many respects, a utopian future. Now, it's implied that it's not all perfect, that maybe yeah. computers control too much of our lives. There's also, like, it, it's something they don't really touch upon, like, sort of the the morality shifts over time. <laughs> it goes back and forth a little bit in terms of what's socially acceptable and what's not. But, like, yeah, yeah. in the future... Premarital sex is not the norm at all. And it doesn't seem to be a religious thing, it just seems to be a social thing. And so Bruce Abbott, there's when when Bill Maher is being a sexist pig, he finds out that Bruce Abbott has actually never had sex, even though he had a girlfriend. Mm. And it's, that's something it's that we could talk about. Yeah, yeah. Well, again, because he he is in many respects, even though he knows a lot more about where society is going and might be more enlightened in a lot of different ways. There's a lot of things that he is 
completely unfamiliar with. There's a story I read. Um, oh, what the hell was it called? There was a comic book. It was a spinoff of a spinoff of the Savage Dragon. <laughs> and uh, there was a superhero called Kill Cat who was basically like a funny version of Batman who was actually just kind of a uh, kind of an asshole and he had a sidekick oh. who was who was from the future and trapped in the past and his sidekick comes from a future where food is so efficient like it's just basically like it's all just nothing but nutrients that there's no waste products that come from it Okay. So yeah, yeah. when you eat that's it you don't have to go to the bathroom afterwards but now he's trapped in the past and he's informed rather late in the game after he's been, like, gorging himself, he's just like, no, that food in the past, you're in for an experience, dude. And then he has to, like, run. He's like, what the hell is happening to my body? Like, it's it's actually one of the funnier potty jokes I can remember. Like, it just, because it makes sense. It's actually, like, a narrative purpose to it. And, like, uh, here, so, like, that a... kind of, that kind of idea, this fish out of water thing where the fish out of water actually comes from a better world and has to constantly get used to how crappy ours is yeah that could have been mine for more humor here and i think it definitely could have been a good running gag throughout the series yeah for sure um uh, your your bathroom story reminds me of uh <clears throat> excuse me for a minute uh a star trek novel i read once um of course it does uh, yeah uh, in one of the star trek novels data gets to he essentially gets to make a wish he like makes it to this like godlike being that lives in a mountain. It's it's very Dungeons and Dragons, and he gets to make a wish. He says, mm. "Well, I I want to be human. Make me human." And so the book is all about how he metamorphoses into being a physical being for the first time. He look he's an adult. He looks like mm. Data, but now he's human. And and most of the book is devoted to him figuring stuff out like appetite and sleeping and itching. Uh, there's a really yeah. wonderful bit where uh, he like a, a, a big uh, it was like a barrel was going to fall on somebody it was a big heavy thing and Data while a human jumped in and tried to catch the barrel because he was still thinking like an android that he could do that he ended up getting crushed and injured and yeah. so he had, it had to be pointed out to him well if you're not an android how, if you were Worf how would you have saved that guy and he says oh I would have pushed the guy out of the way yeah see that's that's smarter <laughs> yeah and again, uh, if you ask a, di a difficult question, like a philosophical mm. question, or a, even just a complex what if, like what if someone from Utopia came back to our time and saw how flawed everything was and had to adjust to it? Yeah. You want to have those conversations. You want to actually think that out. That's where, like, that's where this goes from, like, a kind of like a high concept buddy comedy with cops to actually, like, something that, like, excites the imagination and makes yeah. you want to see more of it. Well, and, and they're and so worried about making this a buddy cop thing that they kind of forget that there's a lot of potential here to be good sci-fi. Yeah, well, and that, that's that's my central complaint, is that they, they set up all this interesting premise, and then they, they don't do anything with it. In fact, they roll into the crassness just right away. Um, yeah. Uh, oh, uh, there, there's a, a really wonderful line from the movie For the Boys, the Bette Midler movie, where... Uh, oh my God, I never to... thought that that's what we'd be quoting today. Oh yeah, this. but uh, she she's performing for soldiers, the USO show, and she uh, ends up getting very blue. She tells like some very dirty jokes, and she comes back off stage. She's like, "Oh gosh, what did I do? I told all these like horrendously dirty jokes." And they said, "It's okay. You panicked and you went for the crotch. It's a first timer mistake." And I feel like that's what this show is doing. It's making the first timer mistake. Mm. It gets nervous and it just goes for the crotch. It tries to tell mm. the really uh, really kind of 
lowest joke they can rather than dealing with this premise, which offered some pretty fascinating ideas that they could have explored in like a Star Trek kind of a way. But they don't do it for a second. Yeah. They just back off almost immediately. No, it's really frustrating. Uh, the 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 main plot here, other than like the setup for the show, like the the it should be the A plot, but it's technically the B plot of uh, of the episode. Is uh, Adam Ant has gone back in time in order to steal, um, a vaccine. That's mm. like, kind of like the perfect like it, it will cure all diseases. Yeah. And, uh, but it, but it never got discovered. It was lost to the ages. And mm. it turns out it was stolen in this bank robbery from this guy played by Leo Rossi, who, uh, he was in Halloween too. He was in Fast Getaway. Um, yeah, he, he, uh, he was going to steal it and, uh, then it all gets lost to time. And so this guy goes back in time in order to find it. First of all, the first thing he does is he goes to like the scientist who invented the thing and says, where is the perfect vaccine? And the scientist says, oh, I put it in a safe deposit box. You know, where it could be temperature controlled and safe. Uh-huh. No. <laughs> that's no. not a thing you do. That's not that's not where you would put something. That's that's absolute nonsense that you would hide that there. That would be like, if, like, imagine if, like, in Jurassic Park, when Dennis Nedry has to steal all of, like, the dinosaur embryos, he uh-huh. found them in, like, a shoebox <laughs> under Richard Attenborough's bed. You'd be like, that's not where you would put those. It needs to be in a glowing blue tube that, like, smoke comes out when you open it up. It has to look, like, science fiction-y and impressive. It, has, it should look science fiction but at the very least, it should be in a refrigerator. Like, that's all I'm asking. Like, at bare minimum, it should be in a refrigerator. Like, come on. <laughs> so, Adam Ant has to make sure that Leo Rossi is able to do the heist that he is going to do, and unfortunately... Bruce Abbott and Bill Maher happen to run into him. There's a foot chase. He uses his magic gun on Leo Rossi, and Bill Maher gets uh, the credit for the collar. Yeah. So Adamant has to break him out of prison. He does. Uh, for no good reason, he lets Bruce Abbott live. Like, Leo Rossi's just like, I'd rather you not kill him right now in front of me, please. Yeah. I'm just having a well, day. I mean, and Adamant is like, sure. They're, they're, I don't buy it for one he, second. It's bad writing. He's a villain, but he's not awful. He's pretty awful, actually. He's going to kill a lot of people. Um, well, but, what he's going to uh, do is uh, his, yeah. he announces that his plan is he's going to steal this vi- or this uh, um, uh, uh, injection. He's going to steal a medicine. Yeah. And he's yeah. it's never been discovered. And what he's going to do is he's going to bring it back to the future, not to uh, help people, but to charge people for it. Like he's going to yeah. make a lot of money selling it. It uh, makes sense. Who, who's I mean, that guy? It's, it's evil, but it makes sense. Yeah, who's that evil, uh, evil fuck in real life who, um, like, Martin Shkreli? Med- Shkreli, that's the guy. Yeah, he he, uh, he bought like a pharmaceutical. I, I, I'm hazy on the details, but basically, he had a pharmaceutical company, and he, he raised the prices manager. to an absurd degree and helped people suffer just so he could make money. Yeah, what? Just a massive piece of shit. Yeah, yeah, like it, it, it was a drug called. Um, uh, Dara Prim and yeah like jacked yeah. up the price to this thing like a, a huge amount um, that that's his plan yeah, so, that he wants yeah, Adam to Ant get, is a pharma oh, bro yeah yeah he's <laughs> before we had the term pharma bro but yeah he, he was the Martin Shkreli of his time what an asshole um so that's what's going on there in order to uh, stop him 
they have to find, uh, like, I think, like, the scientist's, like, I forget if she's, like, your niece or something, but mm. she's the only one with the other key to the safety deposit box. She is played uh, by Rebecca Schaefer, who was very tragically, her career ended very, very suddenly. She was 21, she was ready, getting ready to audition for the lead in oh, The Godfather God, Part yeah. 3 when she was murdered by a stalker in Los Angeles. Yeah, age 21. Yeah, absolutely, absolute tragedy. Just there, I've been on. Um, there's a couple of places in Los Angeles where they'll take you to some of the most like notorious places in Los Angeles. Like here's where this person was arrested, and here's where this person died, and like yeah, that yeah. was one of the stops on the tour. And it's just, it's really sobering to think of just how many people had these earnest dreams of doing a good job. You know, mm. being in the entertainment industry, being an actor, entertaining the world, and then people just destroyed them, literally yeah, or figuratively. Yeah. And it's just incredibly sobering to see her in this. She's good in this. It's not much of a role, uh-huh. but she's very good in it. And it's really, really sad to think about just, like, she, she should have had a career. Mm. Like, this, it sucks. Like, it's it's a genuine tragedy to look back at. She only had eight credits. In her whole career. Yeah. But she was in um, scenes from A Class Trouble in Beverly Hills. She was in the movie Radio Days. Uh, like, she was on Guiding mm-hmm. Light. Like, she she had a, a pretty promising career. It, it was on the up. She was off to a good start. She was off to a good start. She was on, a, uh, I think, a two-season mm-hmm. sitcom called My Sister Sam. Um, yeah, it's just, it's it's really, really sad to think about. Um, yeah. Another interesting, uh, nowhere near as tragic, but another interesting uh, person who was uh, involved in this project uh, was the director. Uh, The director is uh, Robert Butler. Robert Butler Mm -hmm. mostly did television, but uh, he did do one movie, which is somewhat fondly remembered in a very B-movie kind of way. He directed the movie Turbulence. (laughs) Well, he actually did a bunch of different movies, but... uh, uh... Yeah, uh, I just feel like that's the one that he's probably best known for today. He did a movie called Turbulence, which uh, from like the late starred Lauren Holly as a flight attendant on a plane that had been hijacked by a serial killer, played by Ray Liotta. And what nobody mm-hmm. seems to talk about is that Turbulence is the exact same plot, more or less, as a TV movie from 1976 called Mayday at Forty Thousand Feet, which was also directed by Robert Butler. Uh, yeah, you know, you, you get who you know, right? Get uh, get. Who uh, but the thing is, if you look at IMDb, if you look at IMDb, that's not even on the trivia page. That's not, let yeah. alone in the connections. Like it's just like no one has noticed this. Mm. Like no one. But uh, this is weird. I... This is like finding out that like Steven Spielberg also directed Super Eight as well as ET. You'd be like, <laughs> what? And no one put that together that he did both films. Mm. How has no one ever thought that out? Uh, it, it's a little weird. odd when like I know this has happened a couple of times when um. Some American studio will want to remake an international film, and they'll get the same director to do it in English. Like that's a little odd. Yeah, um, always feels like vaguely insulting in a way. Or, or sometimes there are actual filmmakers who will remake their own movie. Yeah, um, yeah. I think it was Leo McCary who did the movie Love Affair, which was mm-hmm. then he then remade like twenty years later as the movie An Affair to Remember, which is now better remembered. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm... the guy who did uh, Ice Castles, I think he no was it Ice Castles. Oh, I, there was I don't some know guy did like uh, who I know was the, the one. Um, um, Michelle Trachtenberg was in the was in the remake. Let me look it up. Hang on, which this I think was just called like Ice Princess or something. Um, 
Might have been Ice Princess. Yeah. What, what I know uh, Robert Butler for is uh, his Medfield College movies. Uh, back early in his career, he did stuff like The Computer War oh, Tennis yeah. Shoes, and uh, Now You See Him, Now You Don't, and The Barefoot Executive. Like, he did some of those early Kurt Russell movies from the 60s and 70s. Uh, mm. He did um, the uh, exploitation movie, A Night of the Juggler. Like, he, he actually has a pretty long, interesting career, um, and mm. oh, has continued to work... Uh, up until his death, so... Oh, no, wait, he's still alive. He's 94. Oh, my God, I just looked him up. No, maybe it's not Ice Princess. Hang on. I, think that, I think he just did a remake of Ice Castle. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the director of Ice Castles, Donald Rye, directed the remake of Ice Castles. Oh, In wow. 2010, and that was his last movie. Yeah. Which is just like, huh. Weird. Uh, Robert Butler also did two episodes of Star Trek. There you go. Oh, and also one of the writers on this uh, on this particular uh, uh, show, Brian Allen Lane, uh-huh. wrote one of my favorite episodes of Star Trek. He was one of the credited writers on Elementary Dear Data. Oh, no kidding. All right. So, so which yeah, is also about futuristic people kind of in the past, although it's the holodeck, so it's not quite the same thing. Uh, yeah, v- visually, it's it's effectively the same thing. Yeah, they feel kind of, they feel like of, of a piece. Yeah, yeah. Um, Anyway, uh, they're about to back to the to the to the TV movie slash pilot. Um, they're going to try to save the day, and they realize just before the heist, Bruce Abbott suddenly realizes what day it is, and what he realizes is that today's the day, according to his great grandfather's biography, that he was actually uh, at a uh, at a train station. Like saving lives from like a disaster. Oh right, yeah, yeah. Like it. So they have to stop what they're doing, get Bill Maher to this place because he's only got like forty five minutes to get there. Mm. You've got to save like ten lives before we can stop this bank heist, which I actually think is kind of a fun, kind of time travel like sort of like last minute monkey wrench in the plot. Mm. Like oh right, the timeline. Ah, we don't have time for this today, but we have to make the time. And so he has to <laughs> save a bunch of lives. That sets his career in the right motion. And then they go stop the bank robbery, and then Adam Ant is going to kill uh, uh, Bruce Abbott, but then Bill Maher like jumps in front of it and dies, uh-huh. and then he uh, Bruce Abbott chases Adam Ant down, and it turns out he like he stops Adam Ant, but there's only enough juice left in the time machine for one more jaunt, and he has a choice between, I guess, saving himself and hoping that a paradox doesn't kill him, or going back in time a few minutes to save Bill Maher. Yeah. Which he does, and he gives him, like, not a bulletproof vest, but an energy-proof vest, which they established in the future is a thing you can have. Yeah, which, you know, that, sure. You know, if, if the, the bullets yeah, whatever, are going to change, fine. you're going to need the technology. It's it's fine, it's fine. They, they, they played fair, and so um, it ends, and I actually like the way it ends. I actually like the last scene, because I think it wraps up a dangling thread with the button, but it's also does so in a way that's actually really sad. Yeah. Because yeah. Bruce Abbott realizes that he there's he has one way of communicating in the future with his girlfriend for one last time, and that's in the book that he's gonna yeah. give her. So he hides a note underneath uh-huh. uh like the flap and like the library card pouch to her from him, explaining here's what happened. I'm trapped in the past, I'm never getting home. I love you, but you should not wait for me. And yeah, it's yeah. really, and it's a melancholy moment on which to end this thing, but it actually leaves it feeling like a real story. Not just like a failed uh-huh. pilot, but like actually like, oh. They actually like tried to oh, wrap shit, it that up. That is a, a bummer, bit. isn't it? 
Yeah, yeah that, that's actually kind of sad. That's that, that actually left... I really liked the ending. I thought they did... I don't know if that was, like, added on after the fact when they realized that we need to make sure this is, like, self-contained uh-huh. just in case this doesn't get picked up and needs to just be a TV movie. Or if that was always the plan. But what, either way, it's a genuinely, like, solid dramatic beat on which to end this otherwise pretty wonky failed pilot yeah it's it's um it's a little all over the place it yeah there's a lot of interesting concepts but the special effects are really bad but the special effects wouldn't really matter if the concepts were strong but then yeah they keep on going off into these weird notions uh, like all these weird sexist jokes and try to make it kind of silly and funny and I feel like they just didn't really know what they wanted to focus on and as a result it, it feels like neither fish nor fowl it feels like we're not if you can getting... if your show can yeah sorry no it just it, it feels like we're not getting what uh what this the full potential of this thing i i feel like if your show could be eight different things you gotta oh. narrow it down for at least for your pilot you gotta be at least two like just focus yeah. on like if your show can be a million things pick like two things to do really well and be clear and focused on it because right. if you try to be too much it's not gonna feel like co- it's not gonna feel cohesive and it's not mm-hmm. going to hook people, and they're not going to know. Like, if you only saw this episode, and then it was a series, uh-huh. you wouldn't know what you're missing if you don't watch anymore. Like, you don't mm-hmm. know what kind of show you won't be watching. You want to be able to yeah, say, it's... like, I we need to see the next episodes of this because I want to see more of this guy helping his grandfather become a better person. Yeah, I... I want to see more... Uh, thoughtful or even humorous fish out of water stuff with a guy from a utopia adjusting to a very imperfect world. Mm. But, but maybe are you also saying like that, but I don't want to just keep going back to sexist jokes. Like you just need to just pick a thing, like pick one or two things and just focus on them. And 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 they're trying to do too much. I think if that was your goal, like if they just wanted to (laughs) make like a science fiction show that was actually really kind of body and raunchy, then I mean it that's, can be done. That, that's that's it's... not necessarily a, a bad thing to do a, a body raunchy yeah. comedic science fiction time travel show sure I mean as I, long as I've long seen, as you're actually funny and yeah, yeah that I've that can work but it's, it's a hard line to too. watch yeah um so uh it's but they don't even lean into that very hard like they have those things yeah. those moments in there but they're like little comedic asides that kind of derail what they're going for. And honestly, there's just a lot of technical stuff that just keeps it from feeling like the work of people who knew what they were doing. Like, in addition to the wonky visual effects, which we talked about, there's this one bizarre editing technique. They decide to use multiple times when they're, like, going to cut from, like, one location to another, where instead of just cutting from one location to another or doing some kind of, like, I don't know, scene transition where, like, maybe you'll do, like, something, like, you know, old-fashioned, like, a wipe across the screen, like you'd see in Star Wars or Seven Samurai, or, like, you could have some kind of bumper or scene transition where it's just, like, here's the this quick visual effect, and now we're over here, or whatever. It can work. Mm-hmm. They do this weird editing thing where they just, like cut to like a black or like a blue screen for a second and then they cut back to the scene we just watched and then they go back a couple more frames or whatever and it looks like there's a problem yeah there there's actually a lot of the transitions are a big a big uh, issue because 
Uh, there's that blue screen thing, but there's also like this weird sort of flicker. Like it looks like yeah. the, when you're watching the video, it looks like the video is is messing up. It, yeah, it looks terrible. Yeah, and if it only happened once, I would assume that it was like a problem with like because clearly the version we saw was recorded off a of television, which is the only way some of these things exist. And I'm very grateful that someone did it. And yeah. every once in a while, you'd see like some tracking lines, and there's not much you can do about it now. I totally get that. If that had only happened once, I would have assumed it was just a technical thing, like oh, there's a wonky recording. No, it happens consistently, and it's always at scene transitions, and so mm. it's clearly a stylistic decision. And I don't know what the fuck they were going for. I don't know what inspired it. It does not work. It is incredibly annoying, and it completely breaks the narrative flow of it, because instead of thinking about what's happening next, all you can think about is how much I hate that scene transition. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's like that episode of The Simpsons where... um. Homer was making like a dating video and he wanted every single cut in the dating video to be a star wipe. <laughs> and then Lisa was like, you know, you don't, you don't only have to use a star wipe. And Homer is just like, why would we settle for less? And Lisa's like, I'm taking my name off this project. Like <laughs> that's how I feel about the editing transitions here in out of time, which yeah. again, th- there's some really interesting ideas here. The stuff I'd like to see mm. and more of, but Honestly, I'm very curious where you land on this because it is such a mixed bag. Whitney, was Out of Time canceled too soon? Here's the thing. Given our conversation about it, I feel like there's something that can be salvaged here. I mm. feel like this pilot needs a lot of work. Uh, it needs, mm. and But we've seen a lot of dramatic changes from pilot to series in the past. So all we need to ask ourselves is uh, what was communicated in the pilot? It's about somebody who goes back in time to teach his grandfather to be a better person so we can have a better future. Okay, cool idea. And there's fish-out-of-water stuff with his adjusting to uh, being in the past. Mm. All of that is promising. I think uh, I think Bruce Abbott is fine. I think he plays mm-hmm. the part pretty well. He has that kind of, like you said, the sort of handsome leading man looks. I think you need to replace Bill Maher. I think he's, I was going to say the same thing. I think he's uh, miscast. Yeah, he he's miscast. He's not playing this part well. And when you get somebody who's not a comedian in that role, maybe an actor, you'd be able to roll with it a little bit better. And we've seen that happen too, where actors are replaced from pilot to series or even throughout sure. the series. So, and that's not to say, by the way, that's not to say that comedians aren't also actors. But when your primary focus is on being funny. Yeah, that, that's you what can I give a different kind of performance in a show like this. If your yeah. primary focus is on conveying a character realistically, you're going to give a different performance than Bill Maher gives here, and Bill Maher's primary goal is to be funny, right? And that's not helping the show at all. Yeah. So once you get somebody who is not trying to be jokey fun guy, if you get somebody who's like trying to play the part a little bit different, then I think something could be done with this. Uh, is the budget low? Yes, I don't need a huge budget. It doesn't need to be flashy. It just needs to be interesting. It needs to be well-written, and that can be done on a low budget. So even though this wasn't a great watch and doesn't have a a great script, I feel like there's just enough promise here to tinker this into an interesting series. So I'm going to say, with all those caveats, that uh, it it was canceled too soon. Yeah, I, I'm tempted. I really, really am. I, I see your point entirely. I, I, I'm going to say it was not, but mm-hmm. I'm curious if we completely retool the idea. I don't want to just, like, do the pilot and then scrap it and change I want to, like, start over again from scratch Okay. at some point in the future, but that's not 
uncanceling this. That's canceling this, and then doing something completely different with it. Which you know that's that, and that's a different series, of course, isn't it? I think it's a different series at that point. I think there's a good idea here, but I think I don't know if it's different creative people need to be involved or what. I think we keep Bruce Abbott. I think Bruce Abbott's perfectly fine here, mm. but I, I would keep I would keep almost nothing else other than the basic concept. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, I really do think that the concept is strong. The execution is mixed at best, often rather poor. Um, but yeah, you, you can see the promise. You can see why someone at a network thought that could be cool, and they gave it a shot. And oh. I appreciate that. I just don't think it worked out. Uh, but in any case, that right there, that is Cancel Too Soon. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Cancel Too Soon. We'll be back next time with another sci-fi show. Uh, this time, I think, from the early 90s. And this was back when MTV wasn't doing a lot of like narrative shows. Their attempt to do a sci-fi version of The Fugitive for the MTV generation. <laughs> it's called Dead at 21, and it stars Jack Noseworthy as a kid who has a computer chip in his brain, and if he doesn't find a way to remove it safely, he'll be dead at 21. <laughs> and um, I, I know about this because uh, my wife uh, is, is a big stan of uh, Adam Scott, and Adam Scott is in this, for like a second, and yet somehow she knew that. So we're gonna we're gonna be uh, gonna be work, working on that. Well, this one's gonna be deja vu all over again for me because I actually watched that show when it was on and when it felt like the edgiest thing on television. Yeah, uh, which it probably was not, but we'll see because I haven't revisited it since like it was on the air yeah. for I think six episodes in like the early early nineties. Uh, but again, thank you everybody for listening. Thank you everybody for joining us. Please subscribe if you haven't already. If you want a lot more exclusive shows, and if you want to listen to our shows without any ads, head on over to patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. In addition to the ad-free shows, you get uh, Only the Best, our show where we review every single film ever nominated for Best Picture, All Our Yesterdays, where we talk a lot more about Star Trek because we review every single episode of Star Trek in order. We do commentary tracks. We do hangouts. We do trivia nights. Um, We do a lot. And I want to give a very special shout-out to all of our patrons without whom... This show and all of our other shows would not exist. So you mean the world to us. Thank you very much. If you want to talk about anything we discussed in this episode, please do. You can email us. Our email address is letters at criticallyclaimed.net. We might read your email on an upcoming episode of our show, We've Got Mail. We also have a snail mail account. Whitney, where is our P.O. Box? Uh, you can send us to the Critically Acclaimed Network, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. Yeah, and of course we're on Twitter at Critic Acclaim. I am at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. And until next time, we will end the show with our it's usual that, way. Which is that's that we a say it. next season. Yeah. We'll see you next season. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.